0: Tell you what, let's just go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll get get right in. Father, thank you for the word of God. Lord, I just pray that your blessing will be upon the reading, the the proclamation of the word. And uh, Lord, open up our ears. Father, you said, he that hath an ear, let him hear. God, give each one of us spiritual ears to be able to hear what the spirit of the living God would say into the churches through the word. And Father, I just confess to you that I need you, Lord. Just empty me of myself and my own ideas, and my own uh, speculations and opinions. Lord, let me just speak as the oracles of God this morning. Give me the anointing, the boldness to proclaim your word, and I trust you with the results. And I thank you for these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, let's go to the first slide. We're going to do some review this morning, if that's okay. trying a different background here, see if the black and white... Is a little better. It may, may, may be worse. I don't know. You can give me some feedback after the service. Make sure it's kind feedback. But uh, <laughs> let's review a little bit. Chapter 1, uh, the book opens. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is the apocalypsis. And it means the unveiling. The book of Revelation is not something that's meant to confuse God's people. It's actually meant to be uh, understood and obeyed. Um, in, in verse, we're, we're in chapter 1, review. Verse 3 as far as I know, the book of Revelation is the only book that has the audacity to promise a blessing to those who read it and to those who heed the message. And so there's a blessing, and that's, that's one byproduct of studying the book of Revelation, is there's a blessing, and I'm looking forward to. I've already enjoyed, I've gotten a blessing just studying for it, and I hope that you're following along with me and doing your own independent study, and, uh, and you'll find it to be a blessing too. The theme is in verse seven. The, the theme of the book is the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. The world—if you look around you—the world's in a mess, isn't it? It's in chaos. But the good news is that God's still on the throne, and His plan is still uh, on, on schedule. Now, there's no 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 problem there. In verse nineteen, we have—excuse me—in verses nine through eighteen, you have the vision. John has a vision of Jesus. And it's probably a lot different than what a lot of people have imagined Jesus to be. We picture him uh, with uh, meek, and, meek and mild with sandals walking the shores of Galilee. But when John sees him in his glory, he falls at his feet as a dead man because he's, uh, he's so terrified of the vision of the glorified Christ. And we need to have that vision of him, guys, that he is not just a man. He is fully God. And He is uh, the eternal Son of God. He's the creator and the sustainer of the universe. You know, I, I, don't like, I don't like these little expressions that we use, to, like the man upstairs. I hate that expression. He's not the man upstairs. He's God Almighty. He's the great I Am. He's the bread of life, the light of the world, and, and so on. I, I just, and, and if you say those things, I'm not trying to condemn you, but I, just, I don't like them. I don't like to try to bring Jesus down to our level. You know. I was talking with somebody this week about the second commandment. We talk a lot about the first commandment. What is the first of the ten commandments? Anybody? Should have no other gods before me, right? That's pretty, pretty evident. But what is that second command? The second command says we're not to make any likeness of anything in heaven. We're not to try to depict heavenly things with our earthly imagination. And that's the problem is our little finite minds, we can't comprehend the vastness of an eternal God. And what we invariably do is we end up constructing a God in our own image. You know? And he's, he's like we want Him to be. And I, and I meet people who talk like that all the time. They say, well, my God wouldn't do this. My God, uh, I just don't believe that my God would do that. And, and I always say, well, your God needs to be the God of the Bible. And that's, that's all we have to go on is uh, what does the Bible say. All right, then we get to verse 19, and then we get uh, the outline of the book. John says uh, there's the things, he's told to write the things that he's seen, the things that are, and the things that will be afterwards. So it's a neat little outline of how to understand the book of Revelation. And then in verse 20, uh, we're told the mystery, the, the mystery of the lampstands is explained. We are not left to our own sanctified imagination to figure out what the symbols mean. A lot of times the symbols are explained in the immediate context uh, if not, it's probably somewhere in the Bible, elsewhere, most likely the Old Testament. Of the 404 verses in the book of Revelation, there are hundreds of allusions to the Old Testament. And we've already encountered a lot of them, haven't we? All right, let's go to the next slide. So now we get to the format of the letters to the seven churches. And so we have a, uh, a rubric, if you will, not a Rubik, not like Rubik's cube, but anybody have a Rubik's cube growing up? If you were an 80s kid, you probably did. Anybody solve the Rubik's Cube? I found a neat way to solve it with a screwdriver. I took the thing apart and put it back together. Praise God. (laughs) Where there's a will, there's a way. Not a rubric, but a rubric, you know, a way of understanding. And the letters follow a similar format. Uh, There is some deviation from that. But you have a destination, you have a description of Christ, and that comes from the vision of chapter 1. Uh, Then the church has a commendation, uh, except for Laodicea, of course. There's nothing good going on there. Sometimes there's a rebuke, things that need to be changed. Uh, Christ has a problem. Then there's an exhortation to change. Big word there is what? Repent. Change your mind. Then uh, if there's a failure to repent, there's consequences. Judgment will follow. Then there's an exhortation. He that hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says unto the churches, plural, not just one church, but all seven churches. Then there's a promise to the overcomer. And who is the overcomer, guys? The believer in Jesus, right? First John 5 answers that. Who is he that overcometh? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Praise God. I'm an overcomer. How about you? Amen. I'm an overcomer. So these promises are to the overcomer. Now, the, the order is reversed in the last four churches, and we're, we're starting with today's uh, church you, uh, on the last two. Um, in, in the first three, the promise to the overcomer comes before the exhortation to hear. But in the last four churches, the, the, it's reversed, and that may or may not be significant as we go on. We'll see. All right, let's go to the next slide. So how are we doing on our report card? Each church gets a report card from Jesus. Well, Ephesus, they were doing okay. They were doctrinally pure, but they had they had left their first love, hadn't they? So that was bad. And if they didn't repent, Jesus is going to do what to that church? Remove the lampstand. And what is the lampstand? It's the church, right? What about Smyrna? They were the persecuted church. They were undergoing tremendous persecution. But God told him, If you'll be faithful unto death, I'll give you a crown of life, and you will not be hurt of the second death. Praise God. Pergamus. Pergamus, the church was under pressure from all the satanic influence. That's where Satan's throne was. And they had married uh, with a worldly system. They were holding to the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. And God said, If you don't repent, I'm going to fight against you with the sword of my mouth. All right, let's go to the next slide. Sam's going to be hating life this morning up there, but he's doing a good job. I gave you the week off last week, so I don't want to hear any complaining. Here's the map here, the map of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And we already covered the first three churches. Now we're coming southeast to Thyatira. And, uh, And so just be aware that this is the route, this is the Roman road. That, uh, that the book of Revelation is, uh, is taking. All right, let's go to the next slide. All right, the city of Thyatira is famous for its purple dye. Now, that purple dye, it comes from a shellfish called a murex. Now, I was listening to the podcast last week as I updated it, and I realized that a couple of times I called it a murine instead of a murex. And what I discovered is that murine uh, describes a family of rodents, and also it is a medicine used to remove earwax. So, uh, yeah. And I was up here bragging about, oh, I don't have any notes here today. That's what happens when the preacher doesn't have his notes. He calls a a murex a murine. But uh, anyway, somebody suggested maybe there's a spiritual message there. Our ears need to be unstopped from the uh, spiritual wax, but... Anyway, that purple dye from the Murex is, uh, uh, is where they got their money. Now, the people in Thyatira, in order to participate in commerce, they had to be a part of a trade guild. Uh, every industry had its own uh, guild. And um, the guilds were often tied to pagan deities. You know? We would think of them as uh, uh, like maybe a union. Think about a, a, a rail worker union or a steel worker or something like that, but, but the, the unions were tied to pagan gods. And so they would have these festivals, and, uh, uh, and a lot of times they would be uh, offering food to idols, and there would be uh, sexual immorality at these feasts um, at, with the trade guilds. And so that would be a problem for the Christian, obviously, to participate in those things. Now, uh, as far as the, city, the seven cities go, this one is probably the least significant of any. Uh, even archaeological, there's not that many discoveries from ancient Thyatira. But it has the longest letter, so that tells us that there's some significance here. We need to pay attention to, to what's going on here. Uh, the only mention of it outside of the book of Revelation is Acts 16, which refer, uh, records the conversion of a lady named what? Lydia. <laughs> and she is a, a seller of purple. <laughs> She's a seller of purple, okay. Let's go to the next slide. All right, so in Revelation 2 now, Christ reveals himself in verse 18 as the Son of God. That's the only time he refers to himself in Revelation as the Son of God. And... uh In this city, one of the trade guilds, they would worship Apollo, who was the S-U-N God uh, in their pantheon of gods. But Malachi tells us that unto those that fear the name of God, that the Son of Righteousness would arise with healing in his wings. And so Jesus is the Son of God. He alone demands our worship and our allegiance. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Deuteronomy 4 and Hebrews 12 both tell us that our God is a consuming what? Fire. His, and fire judges. Uh, our, we're going to be judged by fire. Our works are going to be tried by fire one day. And if our works abide, then we'll have reward. Uh, if not, then they'll, they'll be burned and we'll suffer loss. But we will be saved ourselves, yet so as by what? Fire. Fire. That's kind of a scary concept, isn't it? Some of us are going to be in heaven, but we're going to be smelling like smoke. And that's, you know, it's kind of comical, but it's really not uh, when you think about it. That your work will be burned up before the Lord. Uh, What a terrible thing. His feet are like fine brass. Brass is often a symbol of judgment. In Exodus 38, we read about the brazen altar. That's where these sin offerings were, were judged, as it were. They were killed. And uh, the brazen altar. The bronze serpent in Numbers 21. Remember that? Moses made a serpent, made a bronze, put it on a pole, and if the people looked on the serpent, they would be healed of the deadly poison from the the snakes. Also, Micah 4.13, this is kind of a a vague reference, but God promises the Israelites that he will make their, uh, he'll give them hoofs of brass. In other words, they'll be victorious and judge their enemies. All right, let's go to the next slide. Praise God. The commendation in verse 19. There's five things that Jesus commends them for. Their works, their charity. And I believe these are true, uh, it's true love, you know. Now, the the Ephesians had left their first love, but the Thyatiran Christians, they were walking in love. They had service. The Greek word is where we get our word deacon from. uh, Selfless service to others. They had faith. And they had perseverance. They were bearing up under difficult circumstances. And then at the end of verse 19, Jesus said that the latter works are greater than the first. So this church is growing, you know. And so many churches, if we were to just stop right there, there's a lot of churches that would receive praise, okay? A lot of churches. And there's a lot of organizations that do a lot of great things. You know, they help kids. Um, help, help uh, the elderly, help the homeless, help animals, and that kind of thing. Uh, it's hard to watch those ASPCA commercials without shedding a tear, right? Especially when Sarah McLaughlin starts crooning about the angels, you know, and, and, and so forth. There's a lot of agencies and organizations that do good things. But those are no substitute for the truth of God's Word. And that's what we're going to find out today they were growing in all these areas but they had a fatal problem which brings us to the next slide and I'm already on page two of my notes there's only two pages some of you are smiling really big from ear to ear like wow best thing I heard all day but the problem is that they were tolerating Jezebel now the messenger of the church is the one who's in trouble Jesus said, I have a few things against you, singular, because you, the pastor of that church, allowed or tolerated Jezebel to promote idolatry and sexual immorality. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, uh, we looked in 1 Kings and talked a lot about Jezebel and Ahab, and she was a wicked, wicked queen, and she introduced uh, all kinds of ungodliness into uh, the nation of Israel, but Ahab was complicit in that, and so... Uh, Ahab was a wicked king himself. Now, this woman called herself a what? A prophetess. Now, the Bible does speak of female uh, prophetesses, but this lady was a self-appointed prophetess. God had not called her; she she had she was doing her own thing, and she taught seducing uh, spirits and doctrine. How many of you know the devil has doctrines? How many of you know the devil likes to get involved in church? Uh, Satan has a couple of strategies. Number one, he tries to destroy the church from without. But he always fails at that, because whenever you persecute the church, it only grows. So when he finds out that doesn't work, then what does he do? He applies for membership, right? Now, failure to exercise church discipline against Jezebel is going to be a fatal problem in Thyatira. And so we're going to have to deal with it. So now, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. And I prayed for God to give me something that would be a good case study for this whole idea. And the Lord took me to 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to take the microphone in here to my brother Mark, just as I promised Last week, I saw him and Adam were ribbing each other earlier. They didn't think that I saw them, but I did, because the preacher sees everything, just like the teacher sees everything. Y'all think the teacher doesn't see you, and you think the preacher doesn't notice when you're playing on your phone? Making fun of the preacher?
1: Well, they were going to get to make fun of me because I was going to wear my glasses that are (coughs) in about three pieces, but... I've graciously been offered by many in Sunday school <laughs> to get me new glasses, reading glasses, but I'm gonna use Wendy's, so that's my disclaimer.
0: Praise God. All right, are we in First Corinthians? Let's look in chapter um, chapter five to start with and um Pay close attention, because the problems in Thyatira are very similar to the problems in, Cor- in Corinth. If you would, just read chapter 5 for me, Mark.
1: It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed mighty might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such as one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorifying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicator of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called an idolater or a rowler or a drunkard or an extortioner with such as one know not to eat, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without. Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person.
0: All right, thank you. A pretty serious situation there. There's sexual immorality going on, and the whole church knows about it. How do I know this? Because in verse uh, 2, the Bible says you're puffed up about it. Now, that's something, isn't it? Why are they puffed up about it? Well, they're celebrating how tolerant they are, how loving they are, how how inclusive we are. We just you know we just love everybody. Well, guess what? God loves people, but He hates sin, and and we can't uh, we can't blur the lines there. And it was a terrible situation that was going on there. And Paul uh, he says, "I'm going to turn him over to Satan." For the destruction of the flesh. And he says, it is the church's responsibility to deal with sin. Now, not the sin of the world. You know, if I'm going to get away from all sinners in the world, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to die, right? And, uh, and, and it's going to be really hard for me to get away from sinners because I am one. So even if I go get along, that had not solved the problem. Amen. You know, because the sin's the problem. And Paul says, look, you can't, leave, you, you can't judge the world, but I have called you to judge the church. And, and a lot of people quote, uh, judge not that you be not judged. That's, a, that's out of context. Uh, the church is to judge those that are within. And failure to do so will bring about God's judgment. All right, look in uh, chapter 6. Stay in 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 3. Notice what Paul says. He says, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Did you realize it? Did you know one day you're going to judge angels? Not the good angels, but the fallen angels. Think about it, guys. That's a big deal. All right. Um, Look at verses 18 to 20 in the same chapter. Paul says, flee fornication. I don't use the word flee a lot. So let's just say run from it. Run. Remember that old Kenny Rogers song about the the gambler? You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away and when to run. Paul says when it comes to sexual immorality... Don't walk. Run from it. Because it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you personally. It'll destroy your church. A church that tolerates sexual immorality will be destroyed. Every man, every sin that a man does is without the body. But he who commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the what? Holy Ghost. Which is in you. Which you have of God. And you are... Not your own. You gave up your rights when you became a believer in Jesus Christ. You gave up your rights to call the shots in your life. Now God is the Lord. He is the one who, who's calling the shots. You were bought with a price. What price did God pay for our salvation? Anybody. The blood of Jesus, right? Therefore, glorify God in your in your it's in verse 20. Your body, as well as your spirit, which are God's. This is the prevailing heresy, is that these people were teaching it didn't matter what you do in your body because your spirit's pure, right? And that's a demonic doctrine. Uh, Go to chapter 7, verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, why do we want to avoid it? Because it's deadly. Let every man have his own what? Wife. And let every woman have her own husband. The roles in marriage are pretty clear, aren't they? Biblical marriage is pretty clear. One man, one woman. Marriage has fallen out of favor with the world. But in God's mind, this is the plan. And notice, the, one of the reasons for marriage is to avoid sexual immorality. That's one of the reasons, is to avoid that. All right. Go to chapter uh, 8. Now, in verse... uh, Let's see. Go to chapter 10. I'm sorry. I'm going to put Mark to work again. Mark, if you'll read verses 1 through 11. Chapter 10, 1 through 11.
1: All right. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be you idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them were also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are coming.
0: All right, thank you. So we see here particularly idolatry and sexual immorality and what happened when the children of Israel did those things? They died, right? They were they were destroyed. These are and he's referring these are believers. These were a redeemed people. They had come out of Egypt. They were the people of God, but they got into those things and they were destroyed. All right, let's go to the next slide. Now in chapter, uh, let's go back to Revelation, Revelation 2, in verse 21, Jesus says, I gave her, meaning Jezebel, I gave her time, the Greek word is chronos, or space, to repent, but she did not want to repent. So often we want God to punish evil immediately, don't we? as long as it's somebody else that's doing the evil. (laughs) Sometimes I want God to punish sin so swiftly until it's my sin. And then when it's my sin, I want God to be as long-suffering as He was in the days of Noah. Amen? I want Him to be patient with me. I don't want Him to be, uh, Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. We're often quick to want to see judgment come But thank God He doesn't give us what we deserve. Thank God He doesn't give us what we deserve. Praise God that He gives us mercy in the place of judgment. Thank God He gives us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He is the God of all grace. John says if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Praise God. He loves us. But there is a time, there is a reckoning. Now here's the irony and I wrote down a comment from Leon Morris. The punishment fits the crime. She who profaned the bed of love is pinned to the bed of sickness. Jesus said if Jezebel doesn't repent, he's going to put her on a sick bed. And those with her and he's going to put them into great tribulation. Now, that phrase is only used proper in Matthew 24 and Revelation 7. And both times it refers to the wrath of God coming up upon the unbeliever. And so, this is a dangerous, uh, hor- horrific punishment coming upon those. That will not, that, that, that fail to repent. God means business about this. All right, let's go to the next slide. Now, notice what Jesus says in verse 23. Jesus says, And I will kill her children with death. Is that what your Bible says? Now, in my Bible, these are red letters, and that means that Jesus is talking. And here, the loving, gracious Jesus says, if you don't change, what what is he going to do? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your children. With death, thanatos, in the Greek. And all the churches shall know. So... um, Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians 11. And Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper here. You should be able to find it. You found it once. I have confidence you can do it again. 1 Corinthians 11. Um. Mark, you want to read for me t- verses 28 through 32?
1: Uh, 28 through 32? Yes, sir. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world.
0: Okay, thank you. So uh, God says uh, these people were not taking the communion service seriously. And because of the way they were acting, and you can read the chapter on your own time, God said some of them were sick, and some of them were weak, and some of them had died prematurely. First uh, John 5, you don't have to turn there, says that there is a sin unto death, and I believe that refers to physical death there. Let's go to the book of Acts. Probably the biggest example is in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. <coughs> Famous couple in the... Of the early church. And Mark, I'm going to call on you one more time here. Acts 5, if you'll read verses 1 through 11.
1: All right, 1 through 11. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And to keep back part of the price of the land. While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Did you say through 11? Yes. Okay. And the young men arose wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost, and the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things.
0: Wow! Notice that last verse: great fear came on who? The The church. Ananias and Sapphira were believers, and you know if they were not, why would the church care? You know they would they'd say, "Oh, those guys got what they deserve." But they, great fear came on the church because God judged the sin immediately. Now, aren't you glad, aren't you so glad that God doesn't strike people dead when they lie in church anymore? You say, well, I've never lied in church. You probably just told one if you said that. <laughs> um, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? But this shows, and also you see that the Holy Spirit is called God. Uh, Peter said, you're not lied unto men, but unto God. And who they lie to? The Holy Spirit. But uh, this shows that God doesn't play around. And when this judgment came, it was intended to bring fear to the church. And I believe, church, that we need to have a renewed appreciation for the holiness of God. I really do. Uh, I think we've, we've, we've gotten so comfortable with Him. And we need to understand that He is altogether holy. Whenever people had an encounter with God, every time you find a human being had an encounter with God, they were never overwhelmed with His grace or with His love, even though He is all of those things. They were always overwhelmed with what? His holiness. And they had a a sense of their uncleanness uh, before Him. Jeremiah 17, 10 says that the Lord searches the hearts. He tries the reins and gives every man according to his ways. Let's go back to Revelation 2. We're, we're finishing up here. Now let's go to the next slide. Verse 24, but to you I say and to the rest that do not have this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden. Uh, first off, we see that there are some godly people there in Thyatira. In any movement, even though it may be corrupt, chances are there are some godly people in there. First um, Kings 19, you don't have to turn there. But Elijah is having his famous pity party. And he, uh, Jezebel has threatened him. And Elijah, he goes to God. And he says, God, if you really loved me, you would kill me. <laughs> and it's, it's comical, but it's sad. And he says, God, kill me. He says, I'm the only one that's left. Everybody else is, uh, is backslid. Does anybody remember what God said to, to Elijah? Anybody remember? He said, I've got how many men... Anybody remember 7,000 men that have not bowed the knee to Baal? God always has a remnant of people. We have to remember that. Because a lot of times we feel greatly outnumbered, don't we? But you have to remember, you're not alone in this world. God has a remnant of people who love Him. He says, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. Uh, and those that don't have the doctrine, and those who have not known the, the depths of Satan. Have you noticed how active Satan is in these churches in Revelation? You notice that Satan is doing his thing? Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised that whenever God's moving, the devil's at work too to do his thing. It shouldn't surprise us. Now what are the deep things of Satan. Well, some think Jesus is using sarcasm here uh, that, that they think they're doing the deep things of God, but it's really the deep things of Satan. But the problem with that is, is they themselves are saying it as they say the depths of Satan. And so most likely this Jezebel and her, uh, her followers are teaching that in order to really experience the grace of God, we have to plumb the depths of Satan and experience all uh, iniquity. And Paul confronted this. Jude confronted this. Uh, Peter confronted this idea. Um, Go with me to Romans 6. I wasn't going to go there, but let's do it. And we're almost done. Romans chapter 6. And Mark, if you would read verses 1 and 2 for me. You already put his magnifying glass away.
1: I did and turned
0: the
1: <laughs> mic off. Sorry.
0: Romans 6, 1 and 2. 1 and 2, thank <laughs> you.
1: What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein?
0: Powerful stuff. See, the gospel of grace, uh, people who don't understand grace, they think grace is a license to sin. And Paul says, no, you don't understand. Uh, When you got born again, your relationship to sin died. You died to sin. So, to teach that we go on living so that more grace will come is a false teaching. It's blasphemous. All right, let's go to the, uh, the last slide here. Let's go back to Revelation, chapter 2. Jesus says in verse 25, he says, But that which you have already hold fast till I come. Verse 26, he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power. Notice in verse 25, I, I, I skipped right over it, but I shouldn't have. This is the first time the second coming of Jesus is mentioned in the letters to the churches. And I think that's significant. Now, he comes to the church in Ephesus, but he's coming to take away the lampstand. Uh, he comes to the church at Pergamos to fight against him with the sword of his mouth. But here, uh, he talks about his coming in the proper sense that we are there to hold fast until the coming of the Lord. But, and to the overcomer, he's going to give power over the nations. Turn with me to Psalm 2. I know we just got to Revelation, but <laughs> turn with me to Psalm 2. It'll be easy to get back to Revelation, I promise. It'll be real easy. Psalm 2 is such a majestic psalm. It's a messianic psalm. It's so beautiful. Mark, would you just read the whole psalm? It's it's only 12 verses. Yes.
1: Psalm 2. I do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion." I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore. O you kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and he perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled, but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him.
0: Thank you. Isn't that so good? So good. Did you know Psalm two tells us that, that God has a son? You see that? Psalm two tells us that God has a son. And who is he? Jesus Christ. How did Jesus reveal Himself to the church at Thyatira? He is the Son of God, right? So you see how it's all tying together here? Psalm 2 is tying in with all of this. He's revealed as the Son. And He alone has power over the nations. But God in His grace... Go back to Revelation 2 and we're going to close this out. Revelation 2, 26. Jesus says, To him that overcomes... He's going to give that person power over the nations. We're going to rule with Christ. Wow. Let's do a little exercise I like to do from time to time. Look at your neighbor on the right, then look at your neighbor on the left. Don't they look so good? You are looking at the future leaders of the universe. And yes, that is a scary thought, isn't it? You are looking at the future rulers of the world. We're going to judge angels, the Bible says, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ. The things that you're going through in your life right now, and you don't realize, you don't understand what's going on many times. I want to tell you, you are being trained to reign. It is training for reigning. If if we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. And then verse 27 is just a quote of of Psalm 2 that that Mark read. Verse 28, Jesus says, I will give him the morning star. Now this is kind of interesting. Commentators have fun with this one. Uh, Some see it as sarcasm uh, against Satan because in Isaiah 14, he's called Lucifer, uh, which means the shining one or son of the morning. Lucifer's called star of the morning in Isaiah 14. Uh, 14 but don't call him lucifer anymore that's not his name he's satan he's fallen he's he's the devil he's the adversary revelation 22 jesus christ says he is the morning star he's the bright in the morning star daniel 12 3 says that those that believe and teach others about righteousness will shine as the stars of heaven 2 Peter 1 talks about the day star dawning, a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. Numbers 24 is a prophecy by Balaam. And Balaam says that there's, there's coming a star. He's Bethlehem's star. And he's going uh, to rule the nations. What does it mean exactly? Well, we couldn't say for sure. But in some way, the believer is going to share in the rule of in the reign of the thousand years uh, of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's talked about in Revelation 5 and also Revelation 20. You can look at it. Now one last verse, I've got it up here on the board, up on the, the wall, is Luke 19. You say, well, what, is, what is the millennium going to look like? What, what, uh, what can I reasonably expect? And I think we've sold... We've sold it way short, guys. Because I think some people believe that the millennium and heaven is just floating on a cloud and playing a harp. And people say, well, that just sounds boring to me. But I think for the next thousand years, you and I are going to have stuff to do. The one who's been faithful, notice Jesus says that that person's going to have authority over how many cities? Ten cities. Man, that's that's pretty big jurisdiction there. Well, that's just speaking figuratively, is it? I, I, there's, I have no reason to interpret this as some kind of parable here. I have every reason to interpret this literally. That those who are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, when He comes to rule and reign, we're going to rule and reign with Him. Amen? Alright, would you stand? We finished out the church at Thyatira this morning. But Jesus said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the Churches, We need to listen to the message at Thyatira. They were in trouble because they had tolerated this false prophetess, Jezebel, to usurp authority in the congregation and teaching her false doctrine of sexual immorality and idolatry. And God says, if you refuse to deal with that, I'm going to kill her children and everybody that's in bed with her and everybody's going to know, you see. I believe that there's coming a judgment on some denominations in our in Christendom. I believe it with all my heart. There's a judgment coming on several denominations that have embraced this whole thing of idolatry. And I believe that when God does this, everybody's going to know why it happened. Just like in Ananias and Sapphira's case, just like with Jezebel, she died an ignominious death in the Old Testament. I believe that everybody's going to know that God is punishing this church because He is a righteous and a holy God. And you and I need to take seriously this idea, this belief that God is holy, Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. We need to take this very seriously. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, He died on the cross for your sins. All of them. I don't care what you've done in this room. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. Christ died for everybody's sin. If you want to be forgiven this morning, the gift is available to you. Christ is saying, come unto me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll give you grace. If you've never trusted Christ, he died for you. He he was buried. He rose again the third day. He's at the right hand of the Father right now making intercession for all of us here that have trusted in him. We're going to make it, guys, because Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding for us. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, I invite you to come to this altar and just say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I receive Christ Jesus as my Lord. I believe the gospel. Maybe you're a believer here today and you're not living for the millennium. You're just living for the here and now. And you're going to be really disappointed at the judgment seat of Christ. Because if all you're living for is what's here and now, it's going to burn up. That same fire that Jesus talked about, is going to consume all of that wood, hay, and stubble. But if you're living for the Master, if you're doing things with a pure heart, if you're doing things out of a motive of love and faith and hope, when that fire comes on it, there's going to be a reward. And it may, be, it may very well be that some of you in this room will have authority over ten cities, or five, or twenty, who knows. But... Your degree of faithfulness here on earth now will determine your degree of reward. Salvation is a free gift. Everybody gets to heaven by the blood of Jesus. Your reward, however, will be based on your faithfulness to do what God has given you, the time, the talent, the treasure, the resources that he's given you. What have you done with it? You say, well, I've I've wasted a whole lot of time. You know what? I have too. I wish I could get a lot of time back. I can't. But here's the deal. I can't do anything about yesterday. But from this day forward, I can say, God, I want to finish well. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I may never pastor a megachurch. I don't have any ambition to ever leave Peachland. But I want to be faithful to do what God has called me to do right here with a pure heart, with a love for him and for his people. So I invite you to come to this altar. My goodness, this altar ought to be full. Come as you are and God won't leave you that way. Come on.